And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. Welcome, everybody, at Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today as we explore explaining the faith with clarity, charity, and confidence. And uh, got a very interesting show. Very interesting show. Um, You know, in apologetics, um, there are questions that are within the norm, and then there's questions that are outside the norm. In other words, uh, you could be fielding questions on Peter and the papacy, Mary is uh, mother of God, uh, you know, all these in-park things that we commonly deal with. But sometimes you'll run into a phenomenon or a, a belief system that, quite frankly, is just so weird. It's so obviously not Christian in a way, but... You know, it's it's so it's so unusual that you don't really sure how, you don't know how to address um, explaining why it's wrong and exactly how it contradicts tenets of Christianity. I I think that is one of the one of the most difficult things in apologetics because I I know for me I tend to to fumble those type of questions. It takes me a little while to get my bearings because it just seems so obviously false and confused that uh, it's almost hard to pick a single thread to start pulling on. And that's certainly true with the prosperity gospel. You know, the prosperity gospel is name it, claim it. God wants you to be rich and uh, affluent. Um, We know instinctively it's wrong, but why is it wrong? And and how can you refute it in a way that uh, someone who actually follows the prosperity gospel and believes it to be actually biblical Christianity, how can you explain to them that it's not right, that it's wrong? Well, that's what our guest is going to explain, because we're going to have Master Apologist William Hemsworth come on. And William's going to break down the prosperity gospel and uh, give a very good critique of it. So that's going to be a ton of fun. We haven't really spent a lot of time on uh, that particular uh, sect within Protestantism, but we definitely will today. That's coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, as always, we're going to look at informal fallacy. Today's finding the fallacy is to appeal to tradition, and we also look and meet and uh, learn a little bit about the biography of an early church father. Today's early church father is a great early church father. Indeed, it is St. Gregory I, the great Pope of Rome. Uh, so a big, big name in the panoply of early church fathers' patristic writings. So got a lot on our plates. So why don't we begin, as we always do, by welcoming all of you into the dojo, beginning with our live stream audience. Hi, everybody. Also, I want to welcome all of you listening on radio around the United States and also around the world, either through our uh handy-dandy phone app or through our flagship website, which is Virgin Most Powerful Radio, or through any of those multiple distributors out there on the Internet that uh, distributes this as a podcast far and wide. Yes, welcome aboard, everybody. We love having you on in the dojo, and uh, 
and learning how it explained defend the faith. It's awesome, and uh, I truly appreciate uh, all of you listening. So um, if you have any questions for William Hemsworth, you can give us a call, 888-526-2151. That is 888-526-2151. Or if you would like to send me an email, love to hear from you. And the email address is questions at handsonapologetics.com. And that goes directly to me, and I do get emails, and I enjoy getting emails. So please keep them coming. Uh, I uh, don't always get back in a very timely fashion, but I do nevertheless get back. So um, so there you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's move to go to... Our uh, Finding the Fallacy segment, today's Finding the Fallacy, like I mentioned, is appeal to tradition. This is something that's often misunderstood, okay? Appeal to tradition isn't appealing to historic documents or historic um, um, uh, fathers or writers or uh, other documentary sources. That's not an appeal to tradition. And it's not an appeal to sacred tradition. That is to uh, the faith that was handed down by Christ and his apostles to the church. The appeal to tradition is an argument in which the thesis is deemed, deemed correct on the basis of correlation with the past or present tradition. Okay, so appeal takes form that this is right because it has always been done that way. So it's kind of an, it's also known as the appeal to the status quo. Okay. Now, that being said, um, let's think about this. Um, there, first, I, th I think there, like all fallacies, there is a grain of truth in it, in that often the status quo, something that has always been traditionally done a certain way, it's usually done a certain way for a particular reason. And there's usually some very good reasons that backs doing things or believing things or holding things in a certain way. But that in and of itself doesn't mean that it is true or right or just. Um, so, for example, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's a tradition that we always have turkey. So you can't say, well, you know, it's wrong to have something other than a turkey. Why? Because turkey's the only possible meal. Since it's always been done that way, we've always had turkey. Um, you know, that's kind of a turkey of a, an example. Um, now, that's very different from saying we want to see whether a particular belief existed in the past so we can look at documents in the past to see if the beliefs are reflected within those documents. And that's an entirely different de endeavor because what you're trying to do is determine the existence of something in the past by using evidence from the past. That's not the same thing as saying something is right just because it's always been that way. Okay, so uh, tradition, so there is a grain of truth in following tradition because usually uh, things are held a certain way because they're correct or there's some aspect that's correct, but that doesn't prove that it's correct. So if that's the only basis in which you hold on to something, then um, you might be engaging in a fallacious argument namely the appeal to tradition. All right, so let's meet our next uh, segment, which is Meet the Early Church Fathers, Pope St. Gregory the Great of Rome. Pope St. Gregory was born in Rome about the year 540, the son of a celebrated and wealthy family. Early in life, he held political office in Rome, 
and seems to have had a brilliant secular career before him. He long wrestled inwardly, however, with the problem of the evangelical councils and of the citizen of the citizen, uh, excuse me, the citizen of the city of God as a resident in the secular city. Finally, he renounced all his worldly aspirations, sold his inheritance and possessions and the proceeds of which he distributed to the poor and otherwise used for the building of seven monasteries, six on his family estates in Sicily and the seventh dedicated to the patronage of St. Andrew. In his parental home in Rome, uh, here in the seventh monastery at Monsleo, he himself resided as a monk, practicing the rule of St. Benedict in such austerity that it destroyed his health and endangered his very life. Yet, in these later year, in his later years, he looked back in with nostalgia and a nostalgic sorrow for his monastic years as the happiest years of his life. Gregory had spent only a comparatively short time in his monastic retreat when he was called upon by Pope Benedict I, uh, who reigned from 574 to 578, to serve him as regional deacon under Benedict's successor, Pope Pelagius II, who reigned from uh, 578 to 590. Gregory was made an uh, apocrisius, uh, or an ambassador of sorts, to the Constantinopian court of the Emperor Tiberius II. Only in 585 was Gregory able to return to his monastery, where soon he was made abbot. When Pope Pelagius died of the plague in February of 590, Gregory was called to succeed him by unanimous vote and acclaim of the Roman clergy, sentient, and people. He sought to escape so burdensome an office, but he was finally consecrated on September 3rd, 590. Gregory was Bishop of Rome for 14 years. Only two popes are ever given the title of the Great, Leo I, his predecessor of a century and a half, and Gregory himself. It was Gregory who led antiquity into the Middle Ages and who led, uh, laid the foundations for the medieval papacy that governed the Western world after the Columbus Wars and invasions that completed the fall of the Western Empire in the 6th century. And by the way, it was Gregory also who was the first to habitually style himself as Pope as the Servus Servorum Dei, the servant of the servants of God. And that is our early church father for today, a great early church father, Pope St. Gregory the Great. So, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. And uh, also we have a lot of writings from St. Gregory that we can appeal to in apologetics. Uh, he, uh, his reign was from 590 to 604. Uh, so it's still within the Patristic era. But as you know, the sweet spot is really before, um, uh, the, I guess you would say, the 4th or 5th centuries. So he's a little late for that sweet spot because, as you know, um, a lot of people believe that the papacy arose, you know, after that particular time period. But nevertheless, a sterling example of faith. Our early church father for today, St. Gregory the Great. Coming up next, William Hemsworth. And we're going to be talking about the prosperity gospel. Stay tuned, folks. More to come.
Hey, Terry Rodriguez. I'm a monthly donor here in Phoenix, Arizona. Retired Phoenix cop. And uh, I've met Jesse before. And um, I just want to tell you, you guys were on fire yesterday on the Terry and Jesse show. You guys are on fire. I went to bed thinking, uh, man, what an unwinnable war. But when I got up, I listened to you guys. You know, you guys are doing good work, man. You're doing God's work and keep doing it. I know it gets exhausting sometimes, but there's people out here that really need the inspiration and the evangelization that you guys are giving us. So my best to you. And I'm a, uh, Eddie Rodriguez. And I'm a monthly donor and proud of it. Mom's gonna have a baby? She is? Will it be a boy? Or will it be a girl? We don't know yet, but we heard the heartbeat, and my dad said this is gonna be someone very special. You mean like being a president? Or maybe a doctor? Well, probably maybe like a singer or dancer, I think. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. We know that every baby is a miracle and has the potential to do great things. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, in Hands-On Apologetics. And uh, like I said, there's some uh, belief systems, some uh, groups that sometimes they're just so strange and so obviously false that it's hard to show that they're false. I guess you could say. And that certainly falls within the realm of the prosperity gospel and name it, claim it, uh, people. But nevertheless, for those who take that seriously, um, they want some some solid reasons why this isn't biblical Christianity. And uh, to help us learn those reasons, we have our good friend, master apologist, William Hemsworth with us. William is a former ordained Baptist and Lutheran who converted to Catholicism while attending seminary. He is the husband and father of four who is passionate about passing on the faith and assists in teaching adults and children in his parish in Tucson, Arizona. He is a popular author, blogger, and podcaster. You can check out his stuff at williamhemsworth.com or check out his amazingly popular YouTube channel, which is The Bible Catholic. So welcome, uh, William Hemsworth, back to Hands-On Apologetics. Gary, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I almost called you William Albrecht, you know, by accident. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you know what? Uh, y- you are the one and the only William Hemsworth, so I'm sorry for that faux pas. So, 
you know, it's uh, okay if, if I if I could do the work of apologetics one twentieth as well as Mr. Albrecht does. That's fine with me. It's all good. (laughs) In fact, I I was talking to William the other day, and I won't mention the guest, but apparently there was a misstep, and uh, the guest thought he was supposed to go on William Albrecht's channel when he was actually scheduled to be on your channel. So uh, Uh. there was like some sort of wires crossed somewhere. (laughs) Well, I guess if you're going to be associated with somebody, that's a great person to be associated with. Absolutely. It's absolutely great company. Absolutely great yeah. company. I can't complain about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so how are well, things in Arizona? Things in Arizona are well. Um, I guess technically it's fall. It hasn't felt like it. Um, it's It was 95 degrees the other day. I think today it's wow. supposed to be down to 82. But it, we're getting there. But wow. Gary, I, I, I have to share this really quick. I got this great okay. book in the mail a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah maybe I got you're one familiar. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got one too the other day. <laughs> yeah, and for those listening, I held up Gary's book, and if you guys have not read it, Revolt Against Reality, it's a great book. So, great job, Gary. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, talk about Revolt Against Reality, the prosperity gospel. I mean, what in the world is going on there, William? <laughs> what is the prosperity gospel, Gary? It's, it's, it's. Uh, it's a such a fascinating topic, but it's also one that is so frustrating yeah. in, on so many levels. So the prosperity gospel at its core, like you said in the intro, name it, claim it. Some say grab it, um, you know, word of faith, um, health and wealth gospel. So pretty much it's a core of beliefs that can change your material circumstances. And so there's really four aspects in there, faith, health, uh, wealth, and lastly, victory. And it's really a phenomenon. We could trace it back to the 19th century. And when you look at the development of it, there's actually some new age practices with it, which is very fascinating. Um, hmm. So you remember that book a couple that came out a couple years ago that was named The Secret? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so basically a tenet of that book is you send out positive thoughts into the universe and the universe is going to reflect those back at you in some way. In reality, it's kind of what the reality, the, the prosperity gospel, at least the beginnings of it, it said. So it didn't come out of thin air. It's been around for a little bit. It did become popular in the 50s and 60s, though. But in the 19th century, there was a bunch of self-help movements and a lot of revivals in, in America. And it kind of transformed... Um, I guess, Christianity in the United States a little bit. And it's mostly, it was mostly among uh, Pentecostals. And it goes back to this new thought movement um, that was popular. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson was a key component of it. He taught that the, an individual could exercise power over the material world through his thoughts, through your thoughts. And so one, one new thought writer wrote, see yourself in a prosperous condition, affirm that you will before long be in a prosperous condition. And so around the end of the century, there was a pastor named E.W. Kenyon who put a Christian twist on that. And he taught that people should avoid thinking or saying things associated with sickness and poverty. Instead, they should say, quote, God's strength is mine. God's health is mine. His success is mine. And so another, another aspect of this whole thing uh, came about in 1905, where the idea of the idea of financial success could be tied to a hardworking Christian faith. 
And there were some who said a sign of material wealth was a sign that you were part of the elect. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you weren't, if you didn't have this material wealth, basically you were damned. You weren't part of the elect. And so these Pentecostal tent revivals start. Um, and there was a lot of faith healing. Uh, faith healing was a big aspect of that. And it spread like wildfire, wildfire throughout the U S and throughout Canada. And it, it, a key aspect was manifestation of physical gifts. So speaking in tongues, um, you know, speaking the divine language. And you, if you go to a Pentecostal church, sometimes you'll still run into that. But in 1952, there was a bestseller written by Norman Vincent Peale. It was called The Power of Positive Thinking. Right. And he introduced um, some occult practices of New Age thought. So what he taught was that when a person speaks positively, they set in motion positive forces which bring about positive results. And that's kind of the whole tenet of that secret book that I was telling about just a minute ago. And so along comes Oral Roberts. So he's like one of the first true prosperity preachers. So he blended together all these different elements and created this new real, this new worldview, which focused on positive thinking um, along with manifestations of, of uh, faith. Okay. So pretty much if you, if you believe hard enough, if you're, if you have these spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and the like, one of those gifts could be and should be uh, material wealth. Okay. Now, was Oral Roberts the, the one who a 50-foot Jesus appeared to him and said if he doesn't raise certain millions of dollars to, to build something that he was going to die? Are you familiar I, with that? I That sounds familiar. I can't say for sure if it was him or not, but yes, I'm, okay. I'm, I've, I've heard the story. Okay. And, there, and there's a lot of stories like that. I mean, we can get into Kenneth Copeland with the new plane, Creflo Dollar with the $65 million Learjet, where, yeah, Jesus, right. where Jesus appeared to them and said that they need this plane. And in the case of Kenneth Copeland, that way he wouldn't have to fly in a tube full of demons. Okay. <laughs> Which okay. you and I fly in commercial flights, but whatever. Okay. That's a whole different topic. Uh, <laughs> but but um, Oral Roberts became one of the first great televangelists of the 60s. And so he started saying that prosperity, so this whole prosperity thing was a manner, it was a way to connect with audiences. Because really, Gary, it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting message, and, and it's one that really appeals to us. So if I could believe in Jesus, and all of a sudden I'm not going to get sick, and I won't have to worry about my material needs anymore, that's a pretty good deal. Hmm. But what he actually said is that if you... Donate money to the church in return. God will return to you a sevenfold return. Okay. And so Kenneth Copeland in 1973, he wrote a book about this and he said, well, his wife did. And she basically said, if you donate a thousand dollars in seed money, you're gonna get 10,000 in return. If you donate 10,000, you're gonna get a hundred thousand in return. So, so this whole thing starts to develop. Hmm. It's a really, it's, it's really fascinating but at the, at the same time, it lends itself to a bunch of problems, obviously. So, for example, um, Jim and Tammy Faye, Jim and Tammy Baker in the 1980s, okay, they oh, yeah. started embezzling. Um, Joel Osteen, for example, um, I'm not saying he embezzles, but he has the a former compact center as a church. 40,000 people every week go to Lakewood Church in Houston. 40% of mega churches in the United States preach the prosperity gospel. That's a lot. And I don't yeah. think we recognize that a lot and quite enough. 
And so this isn't something that's just fringe. I mean, this is a mainstream thing, and it's 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 turned into an export. Um, it's gone overseas to Singapore, Nigeria, different places in Africa. One of the biggest churches in the world in, is in Nigeria. It's this 75,000 it seats 75,000 people. And what do they preach? They preach the prosperity gospel. So it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we do have to encounter. We do have to deal with because there's so many people out there being led astray. Yeah. Yeah. 40%. That's amazing. It is. It's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very sad statistic. There's some aspects of the prosperity gospel being preached in 40% of mega churches out there. Wow. Whether, you know, claim it, um, God wants you to be prosperous. Um, you know, if, if he doesn't want you to be sick. And of course we can read different accounts within scripture that obviously run counter to that. And, and obviously a lot of, a lot of examples in the early church as well. And so there's this, and so the, we talked about the history a little bit, so it didn't come out of thin air and they do use scripture as a basis for it. Okay, so just like a lot, just like a lot of movements out there, Gary. Last time I was on your show, we talked about the Arian crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And how Arius used scripture to talk about his ideas. The prosperity gospel does the same thing, and so we have to properly under we have to understand what these scripture passages are that they espouse, and we need to prop we need to answer those. We need to context this king, okay? Context this king when it comes to scripture. And these verses are taken grossly out of context to promote this theology that if you have enough faith, all of your needs are going to be met. You're not going to be sick. You're going to be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. And really, the prosperity gospel, I call it bankrupt. And Trent Horn wrote a title on Catholic Answers a few years ago. That that's that was his title. It was a great title. I won't, Trent, Trent I stole it from you. I won't lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... You it tra it tra but trades eternal riches for riches in this life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, and that's, that's not a good thing. If you're living your best life now, there's a problem because our best life is going to come when we're with Jesus later on. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so the focus is on the here and now rather than on our ultimate goal to get to heaven. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the, our, our faith, it becomes some kind of a tool to manipulate God into giving us what we want now, instead of God being in control, we're making ourselves in control because by our faith in the prosperity movement, we activate those blessings that are waiting for us in God, instead of God being in control and giving us what we need. We're the ones that activate it. And it's, it's a, it's a very man centered theology instead of a Christ-centered theology. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, obviously you can see how spiritually dangerous that is. Uh, not only that, but I mean, like you said, with the tie-in with the New Age, and that was a great uh, summary of its background in history because you could really learn a lot about a belief system by looking at its history. Absolutely. We're, we're chatting with William Hemsworth. We're talking about the prosperity gospel, and we're going to dive deep into it. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Hands-On Apologetics.
If you shop on Amazon.com, there's an easy way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just visit smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center under the desired charity. Now, when you log into your Amazon account and purchase products, a portion of it will automatically go to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio at no cost to you. Thanks in advance for supporting CRC and VMPR, and may God richly bless you and your family. I want to remind people the Spiritual Warfare Conference is coming up Saturday and Sunday, the 29th and 30th of January of next year. It's coming up quick. Yes, you got a minute here. Why should people come to this conference? Father Chad Ripperger is one of many exorcists, but he's looked at by every single exorcist I've spoken to as basically the pinnacle because, Terry, he's resurrected what's basically the Desert Fathers, the monastic St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Charles Borromeo, their methodology of healing, deliverance, and exorcism, which has taken the church by storm. Young Catholic priests that encounter this type of training, they say it's changed their priesthood entirely. He's going to be coming down to give a conference in Southern California. This is the top of the food chain in spiritual warfare. If you want to register, go to vmpr.org or call us at 877-526-2151. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with William Hemsworth, talking about prosperity gospel. And, uh, man, uh, that was an awesome layout of its background, its history. And uh, also you started getting into some of the more uh, malevolent aspects of it, like using something that's a gift of God, such as faith, to to kind of manipulate God into doing what we want. Right, exactly. And yeah, this is all, in their mind, biblically based. And there's different verses that they would point out for this. Um, one of them is Luke 6.38, which says, Give and it will be given, it will be given to you. Um, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will they give into your bosom? For with the same measure you measure it, it will be measured back to you. So this can be used in a couple ways. If you give uh, a tithe, it's going to be given back to you in some so, some form or fashion. And in whenever you watch televangelists, if you turn on TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is full of prosperity preachers, unfortunately, you're going to hear this whole concept of seed money. Invest in the ministry. Give us your seed money. Give us your seed money. You're going to hear the term seed money over and over and over again. And the whole point is you invest in the ministry, and some point down the line, God is going to give you that money back plus a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it's always related back in 
in material. It's not talking about spiritual blessings. It's always it's always monetary. Uh, you could you know I heard I heard one one time. Oh, what was it? It was um, I forget. I think it was Jesse Duplantis, if I'm not mistaken, who actually gave a concrete example. He said, if you give if you give a hundred dollars, you may just find a check in the mail for a thousand. I mean, just things like that, just random stuff. And then they would have mm. testimonials uh, saying how people would just have random checks in the mail. They didn't know where they came from or they'd find different things. Now, I'm not saying at all that there's anything wrong with money. There absolutely isn't. We need it to survive. We need it to pay our bills, pay college tuitions, whatever. There's absolutely nothing wrong with money. But what does the Bible say about money? First Timothy says the love of money is the root of all evil. If our whole point of becoming a Christian is for money, who is our God really? I mean, that's yeah, really right. Um, so that's that's the danger. It's if if our whole point is money, we're elevating something above God. We're in an idolatrous state at that point. And so that that verse from Luke sixty eight, it's about forgiveness, though. I mean, just two verses before is that famous passage we hear online all the time, right? Don't judge, or you'll be judged. Well, th that's what this is about, is yeah. forgiveness. It's not about money. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us. God certainly can. God could do what he wants. But our, the prosperity gospel says if you have faith, you can have a mansion, a yacht, um, a Maserati. Whatever the case is, it's appealing to the flesh. It's not appealing to the spiritual. It's appealing to the flesh. That's the danger. That's the danger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A fame, another fame, another verse, Gary, um, from Third John. Now, probably not a lot of people have read Third John. It's a very short letter. You know, if but, you uh, haven't, you can read it over the break. <laughs> you sure can. It's, it's, it's only about two hundred words. I mean, it's very short. <laughs> right. But ver but verse two says, "Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be healthy, even as your soul prospers." I've heard this verse used by so many prosperity preachers as a proof text for their gospel. Now, what is this, though? This is a greeting. This is literally verse two. OK, it's not deep in the book. This is part of the greeting. This was a common Greco-Roman greeting of the time. You wish prosperity on who you're writing a letter to. Gary, if you sent me an email, which sometimes we exchange emails, thanks be to God. So you send me an email saying, William, I, I hope you're well. I hope your family is well. And I go, and I respond with, Gary, where's my check? You're going to be like, what am I talking about? <laughs> this is, I can't imagine what St. John is thinking when people use this as a mode for um, the prosperity gospel. I couldn't even imagine what he's thinking. He's probably up in heaven like, that's not at all what I meant, guys. It was a greeting to Gaius, okay? It was a greeting to my friend. I was wishing him well and that he could prosper. So, yes. It's it's totally taken out of context, blatantly so. So John is he wants the journey of his friend, his life to go well, just like all true friends do. Friends wish the best for their friends. They don't wish ill will on their friends. It's this is but this is a greeting. It's not it's not a foundation for any belief. It's a greeting. It's just like um, if if you were to use the greeting from one of Saint Paul's letters, you know Paul a slave to Jesus Christ and say that we all need to be slaves, but not slaves to Jesus, but slaves to someone else. No, absolutely not. That's not what he's talking about. So it's taken totally grossly out of context here, but yet sermons are talked about every week using that verse. 
Joel Osteen has a, I think it's a 35 minute sermon on that one verse. You can find <laughs> it on, you can find it on YouTube. That one verse somehow gets a 35 minute sermon. Wow. It's, 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 it's insanity. I mean, it really is. So that has nothing to do with our, our, with wealth coming to us. It's a simple greeting from one friend to another friend. Right. Yeah, well, you know, like the old Star Trek show, you know, Spock would say, live long and prosper. You didn't see Captain Kirk pumping his fist saying, yeah, I'm going to be rich, you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. That's, yeah. I, I know that was a pretty arcane example, but hey, I'm doing my best. <laughs> hey, it's okay. It, 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 it works. I mean, it, it, and that's what happens, though. At least, I mean, you, get, you take something out of context. You can really formulate any kind of theology you want. And you dress it up in a little Christian dressing, and maybe it sounds good to people. And they say, oh, okay, this is a Bible verse, and some people are taken in by it. Hmm. And it's such an American phenomenon that, I mean, us Catholics aren't exempt from it either. I mean, every now and then you'll catch, you'll, you'll catch some, a Catholic online saying something like that, maybe not to, not to that extent, but it, it's something that has infiltrated our culture. And we and we don't we don't see it, but it's something that we need to we need to combat against because it's 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 leading people astray in in a lot in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, you always in the prosperity gospel, you always find this big emphasis on tithing. Tithing is a big thing, mm-hmm. and and you know we the Old Testament passage, you know, give ten percent of your grain, et cetera, et cetera. You'll hear that a lot. You'll maybe even hear, you know, give all you can. Okay. Plant the money because you're going to remember if you give, God is going to give back to you sevenfold. So, what does this lay people up to do? I mean, let's take it to its logical conclusion. And it's an extreme example. So, say someone is behind on their rent. Okay. They get some kind of windfall. They get a check for, uh, I don't know, $1,200. And they're like, okay, I could either get caught up on my rent. Or I can go over here to this ministry who says I'm going to get seven, seven, seven times my money back, and they give the money, and then they don't get anything, and that next that person's on the street. It's an extreme example, absolutely. I'm not going to deny that. It's an extreme example, but people fall for this every day. I mean, there, you could you could you could pull up reports of of widows on fixed incomes giving the, every last cent to these ministries, and. Them call then these ministries call asking for more, and so they give more, and they give more and more and more. Well, all of a sudden they don't have anything left for their basic needs. So one verse to justify this is Luke eighteen twelve, and this is very interesting. That verse says, "I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all I get." That's all it says. Okay, great. Okay. What's it mean? What's it mean though? Jesus telling a story. Okay. He's making a statement about a foolish man. So let's read the whole thing, though. And it's verses 12 through 14. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far away, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So the tithing man didn't go home justified. We've heard that gospel a lot. It's the person who's truly repentant. So yes, the church needs money. Okay, stuff isn't free. We got to pay the bills. We got to pay employees. Stuff costs money. Communion wine, 
host, all that stuff costs money. It's not stuff that's generously donated from corporations. But we give what we can, and we're not being told on a weekly basis, unless we give so much, we're going to be damned, or we're not going to have material blessings, or we're not going to be able to pay our bills or anything like that. That's the difference. I can't remember the last time in a Catholic church, Gary, where I had that type of a that type of a homily about tithing, where if I didn't give ten percent, I was going to lose my job, or I was I was going to get this and that. No, it's yeah. give what you can, okay? Because yeah. the church realizes that we have families, we have things, but we give what we we joyfully give of what we can. We're not pressured to give what we cannot. Okay, that's the difference. Right. Yeah. So uh, and you're absolutely right. That's that's certainly not something um, that's emphasized. And we certainly wouldn't say, well, you don't have faith. Right. Because if you had faith, you'd be willing to put sizable amounts of money and, you know, show you have faith. But right. like you said, that that's totally in contradiction to that uh, where he talks about the sinner and the publican, I think it was, or was it the Pharisee? who tithes twice a week and does all this great stuff. And, and the other one just says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a big difference. We're, we're, we, it's a, how do we get to heaven? We repent. Uh, we partake of the sacraments. We believe Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross for us. And yes, we can tithe we can give and, and we, sh and we should get it. We should give if we can. Okay. Let me be clear on that. Cause stuff isn't free, but the prosperity gospel takes it up to the 10th degree. But where does this tithing go? That's the thing. Does it, it goes to bigger buildings. In a lot of cases, it goes to the, let's be honest, to the pockets of the prosperity preacher. Okay. Right. I mean, these prosperity preachers are millionaires. In the case of Kenneth Copeland, a billionaire. Mm -hmm. That's where the money's going. You're funding their lifestyle. You're not funding, it's not a humble pastor who's living on church property in a small house, maybe making $20,000 a year. No, they're making millions. They're raking in millions off the backs of the hardworking people in their congregations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're chatting with William Hemsworth of the Bible Catholic Channel on YouTube, talking about the prosperity gospel. More to come after the break. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics. This is a catechetical minute from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The Church has no other light than Christ's. According to a favorite image of the Church Fathers, the Church is like the moon. All its light is reflected from the sun. Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 748. The Church has a single, simple message to proclaim Jesus Christ. As long as the Church, and all her members, stay true to this mission, we will remain a bright reflection of our Savior, and give much needed light to a world in darkness. Jesus, shine your light upon the church, that she may reflect your love to all who seek you. This has been a Catechetical Minute, from Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. According to St. John Paul II, being a Christian means saying yes to Jesus Christ. It consists in surrendering to the word of God and relying on it, but also endeavoring to know better and better the profound meaning of this word. May God grant that we always rely on his word, read it often, and put it into practice. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with William Hemsworth, talking about prosperity gospel. And, uh, man, that's such an interesting subject. And, like I said, it's so backwards, William. It's it's almost hard to know where to start, you know, in terms of... Uh, you know, how to prove that something that just seems so counter to Christian sensibilities is wrong. It It is. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of theological issues. Like w- one of them, Gary, it's it, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. I, we, we've all heard of it. If you've read the Bible at all, you're familiar with the covenant. In the prosperity gospel, this is all a means of, the blessing of Abraham was material in nature. And because Christians are children of Abraham, Abraham, those material blessings come to us. That's what the prosperity gospel teaches in regard to that crucial covenant in the Old Testament. Um, This is what Kenneth Copeland said. He wrote a book in 1974 called The Laws of Prosperity. This is what he writes in regard to the Abrahamic covenant. Since God's covenant has been established and prosperity is a provision of this covenant, you need to realize that prosperity belongs to you now. I mean, like you said, it's so backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so very backwards. What, and they'll also, in regard to this, they'll, they'll, they'll appeal to New Testament too. So in regard to that, they'll appeal to Galatians 3.14 which refers to the blessing of Abraham that came upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. But it's not really what it says. So what they ignore is the second half of the verse that says that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hmm. So Paul's reminding about the blessing of salvation, not material blessings of wealth and all that stuff in our lives. And Gary, probably the one that upsets you the most and I remember, first, I remember when I heard that, when I saw this tweet. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this first thing first. The atonement in, in the prosperity gospel extends to the quote-unquote sin of poverty. Okay. Wow. How damaging is that? That can, this can cause so much damage. So this is what Ken Sarles, he's a 
he's a prosperity gospel person. He says both physical healing and financial prosperity have been provided for in the atonement. And he also goes on to say the basic principle of the Christian life is to know that God put our sin, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief, and poverty on Jesus at Calvary. Creflo Dollar, a lot of people may have heard of him. In 2015, I'll never forget this tweet as long as I live. Even if I get Alzheimer's, I'm, it's going to be embedded in my mind. <laughs> he he tweeted out and put on Facebook that Jesus died so we could lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. Nothing about sin. Nothing about that. It was all about money. And people were incensed. People were really upset. He probably blocked a couple million people that day. Yeah. But he, he later deleted the tweet. But as you know, Gary, nothing is deleted off the internet. And what's sickening is he has a free Bible study on his website. That quote is still in the Bible study. It's still there. It's part of what he teaches. So Jesus laid claim. He died for the, for, so we could have financial prosperity. That's not the gospel whatsoever and i that's probably the aspect that gets me the most upset about the prosperity gospel is is that whole crazy distortion of the atonement i it, it doesn't make sense to me it's so like you said it's so counter to what christianity is so i guess how do we counter these things so some of these prosperity preachers will say that jesus was rich that he had a nice house and nice clothes Okay, well, hold on. Jesus says he, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says that straight up in the Gospels. So no, they're wrong, okay? We don't follow Jesus for money. We follow Jesus for who Jesus is, the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. That's why we follow Jesus. That enough is worthy of us following. We, okay, if it's not about money. Money becomes our God if that's why we're following Jesus for it's it's leading people astray it's entirely dangerous i can't 40 percent of mega churches in the united states are teaching this 40 percent so there in your in your city there's most likely somewhere that that's teaching this and so jesus obviously was homeless how about the church fathers gary how, so if a whole pro if the whole promise of the atonement and of following jesus is health and wealth the church fathers didn't get the memo. How many of them died for the faith? Was that their was that their material blessing if their heads chopped off? Or was it was it the material blessing of the early church to lose their homes, their children for following Jesus? No, it wasn't. So it distorts the faith. Sorry, I get worked up with thinking about that one because that's it's just so counter. Oh sure. To, yeah. To to everything. Um, but yeah, so, and, and not in an order to the atonement, but we give as a form of compensation, like it's a business transaction for God to God. We give out of the goodness, we give joyfully to, for the mission of the church. We don't give as some sort of a business deal with God. Okay. If we're giving to get something back, that's not giving that's called business. Okay, yeah. it's a yeah. it's a contractual obligation on the part of both parties. That's not what giving is. When we give to the church, 
really we don't we don't expect to give and to get anything in return we get the joy of knowing that the church is still out there doing its mission so in that way we do get something back but we're not expecting a check in the mail we're not expecting right. a dividend like we if we're investing in a in a in, a, in jp morgan chase or something like that that's not how it works yeah yeah it, it turns uh charity into an investment exactly yeah <laughs> yeah it's not charity at that point it's an it's an investment right and then lastly i mean faith is faith isn't believing it's it's a self it's a spiritual force it's something we activate in the in the prosperity gospel of course faith is something that we generate to lead the prosperity if we have enough faith we can move god to give us what we want it's a man-centered theology it's a man-centered theology that is leading millions and millions of people astray every day. Like I said, it's, it's American Christianity, and I use this term loosely, American Christianity. One of its greatest exports is the prosperity gospel. It got into Africa. They're growing like wildfire over there. Thankfully, the Catholic Church in Africa has grown a little faster. Praise God. But what, these, what those churches in Africa are doing that teach the prosperity gospel is they're going into Europe, and they're... They're starting churches in Europe that are teaching the same thing. So it's it's this cycle. It, it's it's we have we have we do have to fight it. We have to know how to fight it. And one of the things we can do is look to Jesus, who was not a rich man, yet he was the son of God. He humbled himself. He came down in the form of a slave, as the Bible says, and died for us. That's what he did. Uh, we, he didn't come to die so we could have financial prosperity, as Creflo Dollar would say. <laughs> yeah right yeah um yeah that's crazy uh like i said it, it's so backwards it's hard to figure out where to start and and uh you, you gave us a lot more than uh a beginning there um yeah i mean it, it you know it's almost like the only way you can demonstrate your faith is through finances and not through obedience not through almsgiving not through you know, it, it has to be something purely financial, right? It right, be exactly. Good works. Exactly. It, one of the things, let's say James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. And this is what Creflo Dollar says in regard to that verse. He says, when we pray, believing that we have already received what we are praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. It is a key to getting results as a Christian. So it's about what you want, not what God wants. Prayer is about aligning our will with God's, not of aligning God's will with ours. That makes us God. It is... Yeah, and... yeah, it's, it, you're, it's, you're exactly right. It's like it's trying to manipulate God to do our bidding. Right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a crazy belief system. So um, is, is there any... One thing that if you were to sit down with somebody that believes in the prosperity gospel, uh, that you, what would be your first uh, argument out of the gates? What would help open their eyes? My first argument out of the gate is why Jesus actually came. So use those, some of those verses I went over a little bit ago, pull them up in your Bible, flip the Bible around, you know, and it's something that, so we get a Bible, we flip it around. Let's look at the verses in context. What's Jesus talking about here? 
So I think that'd be the first thing. If you're actually sitting down with someone and you're having a conversation with them, one, we have to avoid not getting heated because that that's we're going to lose right off the bat. We're going to lose the conversation. So pull up the verses that they're talking about and, and then look at context. Verses before, verses after. What is this passage talking about? Because the passage is on our side. It's going to disprove the prosperity gospel at every turn. And then who, who is Jesus? Well, you, you can look at the person of who Jesus is. Son of God, obviously two natures, divine, human. Where was he born? In a food trough. Okay, he wasn't born in a mansion somewhere. Uh, yeah. But right. so we, we could look at his life. Was the focus on material things or was the focus on faith? Now, I'm not saying that sometimes God may not bless us. He will. I mean, he, he, he certainly can. He can do what he wants. But the focus isn't on money. The focus for us is doing God's will. Money's not a bad thing. We need it every day, but it's not our focus. And so we can go to those other passages in Scripture that say that. First uh, Timothy, for example, the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? Now, it's not saying money is evil. The love of. The prosperity gospel is fully about the love of money. That's first and foremost. If you're good enough, um, you can. if you have enough faith, you can have those things. Maybe a yacht, a mansion. But it's dangerous, Gary, because what about those people who maybe believe this and maybe they got sick, their family members died? Are you saying they didn't have enough faith? How many people maybe left Christianity as a whole because of that? That's one. That's another reason why it's so dangerous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, William, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, William Hemsworth. Yeah, check out his channel, The the Bible Catholic, on YouTube. Also, his website, williamhemsworth.com. Wow, the hour's flown. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for listening, and God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. Do this thing we call hands-on apologetics. Bye-bye, everyone.